Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> doing great, Matt. It's hard to complain, Matt. You know what I mean? Like, you just sometimes you put things into perspective. I heard an interesting stat the other day. I think the odds of being born are like one in 400 trillion. Mm. So yeah, we're all miracles if you think about it. And so it's like we're here for a reason. Somehow I was picked and the timing of my parents meeting and, and now I'm here and it's amazing. You never, Yeah. It's just, yeah. So let's do this. <laughs> so let's, let's, yeah, do the, let's, let's do life. Let's do life. I know. <laughs> that was a very odd like intro, but sometimes you just have to be thankful for things, right? We've been talking to your yogi again. or <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Just the, the oddest things pop into my head, Matt, as you can tell. I, I've noticed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over the place. But anyway, so we're not talking about the odds of being born, which obviously are pretty low. And so everyone listening, you're very lucky to be here with us today listening to us on this podcast. And we're going to talk today about something that's fairly simple. And I think a lot of things that we do in our world of drilling fluids and, and drilling operations and being like, we take things for granted. And it's very apparent now as we hire, whether it's interns or, or people coming on board to the oil and gas industry, is we say these things and whether it's terms or abbreviations or whatever the case is, and people look at you like, uh-huh, yeah, I don't, what do you, what is that? And you, then you quickly realize, oh, yeah, that's something that not many people knew about and, until you were exposed to it. So something kind of getting back to the basics is understanding, you know, terminology relative to circulating systems. There's, you know, we throw out whether it's trip tank or slug tank or, you know, your suction pit or, you know, if unless you've been on a rig or you've been involved with drilling fluids, oftentimes it's like, well, which one comes first and how does that all get connected? And so I think it'd be cool to kind of talk about where the mud starts and ends and, and the different compartments essentially that it goes into. I like it. Okay. So Matt, let's start with, do you want to start at where the mud comes out of the hole or going down the hole? Well, it would make sense where it starts. Let's start Hence there. our namesake, <laughs> the flow line. Right. Okay. So lead us off. Mud's coming out of the flow line yeah. and typically from here. So it, it's dropping down and Normally, it's diverted across the shakers, so several pipes. It'll go into the header box of the shakers, or sometimes called the possum belly. Mm -hmm. Or shaker box if you're in Canada. Shaker box, is that the Canadian term? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought header box was it, but okay. Header box? It's somewhere in the world. Right. It could be I'm header box. Several liters of fluid are in there. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Fluid is basically spilled across the shakers, and it goes into its first pit. Mm -hmm. And the first pit... As after the fluid passes through the shakers, is called the sand traps. Yeah. And it's more than just a clever name. <laughs> the idea is that the fluid is the most solids laden as it could be at that point. And so the idea is to get some of that stuff to settle out before it starts moving over to the next pit. Mm -hmm. So the That's fluid right. has some residency time there, and then it will pour over into the intermediate 
tank. And granted, some look bigger rigs have more more tanks than this, right? Like we're right. This is very most yeah, land rigs could go on about pontoons and all that stuff, but I'm not going to. Right, and um, and again to preface that, yeah, we're talking about land rigs, yeah, for the most part. And so yeah, sand trap again. It's where you know your fluid first goes into your mud pit in your tank system, and because of it being so solids laden, it's a tank dedicated to hopefully capture a lot of the bigger solids and stuff that trash and stuff that goes through your screens that hopefully don't have holes in them, but it does happen. So you need a place to catch all that trash. And a lot of times you'll see on a mud report dumping sand traps every X amount of hours or once a tower. Cause if, you know, eventually it gets so laden with whether it's sand or solids or whatever, cuttings even too oftentimes get trapped up in there you want to dump that and so you'll get rid of that and kind of restart but that's kind of your second line of defense is your sand trap hoping that you don't get a bunch of trash and cuttings downstream yes to the next pit which the was next pit, our intermediate yeah and you know the intermediate pit is normally it's fairly common that it's something you draw from if you want to further treat the fluid so this may be where you pull for desander, desilter, uh, centrifuge, you'll take some of this fluid out and process it further and then return it back further downstream. Yep. And these pits have also, just worth noting, have agitators that will try and keep the fluid in motion and limit the amount of settling as it sort of passes through Mm -hmm. and then goes to the next pit, which is our suction pit. Right. And I will say too, because everyone out there, oh, what about this? Well, there's oftentimes too, they call it a settling pit. So there, mm. sometimes there's a pit in between there that doesn't have an agitator that is like kind of like a, yes. I would call it like a secondary sand trap. So it's like sand trap, settle out the big stuff, settling pit, hopefully settle out some more junk. And then, but again, depending on the rig, depending on the setup, blah, 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 blah. Everyone's going to say, well, what about this? What about that? Yes, we are aware there is a settling pit, but for the most part, it's like the intermediate pit, which then it goes into the suction pit, whether it be suction one, suction two, essentially you can have two, but how would you describe the suction pit and what is it for? Well, it provides suction to the mud pumps or so the mud pumps pull mud from there. I mean, I think charging pumps are pretty standard nowadays, right? I believe so. It's been a while since I've been on a rig. I haven't found a rig without them in Mm -hmm. some time. Yeah, But anyways, you're going to effectively, the mud pumps are going to then, they're going to take this fluid, they're going to begin the pressurized cycle of pumping, pumping it up to the top of the rig and into the drill string, you know, via the Kelly hose, down, down into the drill string and down hole. That's right. And so the, the ones we just mentioned coming out from underneath the saver, you got your sand trap, your intermediate or your settling tanks, your suction pits, that would be considered the active. Mm-hmm. And so on surface... The fluid that is actively part of the circulating, like ongoing circulating system is, you know, your surface pits are going to be like your active pit. So it's like, let's treat the active. That means you're treating typically those, the volume that's within that, those tanks up. Well, a lot of times just the suction pit, but that's part of your active. You got your downhole and then you've got your surface tanks, all of which is your active system. Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, you know, we, I think we're mostly talking about tanks here, but yeah. don't forget that, <clears throat> yes, you have a fluid volume that's inside the pipe and then you have you have the volume that's in the annulus coming back up. Right. So, and yes, then, all so, that. So before we go downhole, mm-hmm. let's talk about surface because there's other isolated tanks or, you know, volumes that and terminology that we can talk on, one of which is the reserve pit, Matt. So Mm -hmm. how would you describe the reserve pit? 
Well, I mean, a reserve pit can be as basic as a giant open pit, usually lined, hopefully lined. (laughs) And so this is basically a place a lot of times where you can dump fluid, especially in like a water-based mud application where you're allowed to. You can store large volumes. You're diluting a lot. And so you can transfer lots of dirty mud somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's stored into this surface pit. And I don't know, sometimes if you get into trouble, you can actually pull from it and pump back into the active system if you need to. Right. Sometimes the, you know, but sometimes that can even just be tanks. So frack tanks on surface, that kind of thing that you would call your your reserve volume. Mm -hmm. And so those are just extra volume that you isn't part of your regular circulating system. But if you need it, you can transfer it over. Right. Yeah. And two, there's premix tanks. And so a lot of times those are plumbed into your active to where you can you can pull and discharge into your premix tank if you need to build extra volume or sweeps or you know certain pills if you know you're going to spot something if you've got a premix tank you know with a hopper and its own pump and everything else it's like its own little independent circulating system that you can build additional volume if you're a little tank locked for whatever reason that's another one and yeah and you can use that as part of your reserve volume once you have something built you can use it as storage or, you know, have it sit there till you need to deploy it. Yeah. And I'd say the distinction is you're usually not actively circulating through it. So you transfer to the active system and it becomes part of the active system or you transfer it out of the active system and it becomes part of the reserve. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, oh, we'll now pump through frack tanks one through five and then pull back in yeah. to the suction, you know, that kind of thing. That being said, I guess I, I had it in a, a different section on our outline, but considering like a slugging pit, right? Where you very much like a premix concept, right? So most rigs will have one or two of these and it is, you know, pipe slugs, which are heavy fluid that you pump inside the pipe when you want to come out of the hole to address U-tubing of drilling fluid. However, you can mix pills and do other things with it. So you would actually transfer some fluid from the active system into the slugging pit, do something to it, and then you could you're going to pump it back into the active system ultimately. And I don't know, some rigs I've even been able to circulate through them because the slugging pit was stupid large for no reason whatsoever. And so it just became part of the active. <laughs> yeah. And, and slugging pits, from what I remember being on you know multiple rigs, could be anywhere from 70 to 100, 120 barrels. Like it's not a, an entire amount. And then, you know, your suction pits could be few hundred barrels. So yeah, they're, they're different, definitely different volumes depending on the, the compartment. Yeah. And relatively tanks. speaking, a slugging pit is smaller mm-hmm. usually. And the way these things are all plumbed together is, is certainly relevant as well because they're sort of put together with a certain intent. If it was designed by a mud engineer, there's a valve on everything, but usually they're not. And you've just got to figure out, they obviously were designed with slugging pit in mind or what, you know, what have you. Yeah. Yeah. And then too, one thing that's kind of maybe in an older terminology, you don't hear it too often, but if you ever hear someone say, well, let's just go to a one pit system. Again, that's something we used to do in certain scenarios, but you can essentially bypass all the tanks and go right from your shakers down to the suction pit. So, cause a lot of times if you know, you, let's say you got a 2000 barrel circulating system and for whatever reason, there's tons of reasons why, but you need to like ex- reduce your active volume to make a quick treatment or to like wait up or do whatever it is. The less volume you have, the quicker you can treat your system. So you can essentially bypass multiple pits and get directly to your suction or even through your slugging pit. 
there's a trough system a lot of the older rigs used to have. I don't yeah. know if that still exists, but that's if you hear that and you're like, one pit system, what is that? You're essentially bypassing everything and going straight from like essentially the flow line to downhole. So yeah. you just basically bypass everything and go. So again, it's not very common, I don't think. But again, if it gets thrown out there, now you know what it means. Fun factoid. Yes, exactly. Also, Matt, degasser, that, that's part of the circulating volume oftentimes if uh, you've got a bunch of gas, right? Yeah. Well, and certainly if you've got a gut, you know, a gas buster or something, like you, there could be a fair amount of volume in there you don't want to forget about. One other one that I, I feel like is worth mentioning, and, and we'll talk about the importance of being able to track your volumes, but the, the trip tank. Yeah. So, you know, keep in mind that pipe displaces is a certain amount of volume. And so on trips, you're going to be getting fluid back and vice versa. And you want to know exactly how much fluid you're getting back. Mm-hmm. So Very important. when it goes into the trip tank, you have a specific measurement, you know, your fluid levels aren't changing because if you were to, for example, have an influx while you were trying to take pipe in or out of the hole, that could be very scary. Right. So you want to detect it quickly. And so when the trip tank fills up to, you know, let's say it's exactly 20 barrels, then we'll transfer all of that out back into the active system. You want to tell somebody you're doing this yeah. and then you'll start tracking it again, making sure you have that even displacement you're looking for. Because it's your theoretical displacement versus your actual. And if they're off, then it's telling you your hole's doing something. Yes. Either you're losing volume or you're gaining volume. But it's a very, I guess, like a simply engineered way to make sure that your whole volumes are accurate in yes. and out. So, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. So, and then there's some other, can't think of any other pits that you'd have on surface for the most part. Unless they're like in some like weird, unique application. But for the most part, that's what you'll see. And again, I think we mentioned frack tanks where you'll store a bunch of volume, whether it be water, you know, mud, sometimes diesel tanks, you know, diesel tanks are obviously there, but it's not part of your circulating system. But going into sort of the volume increments, again, here in the U.S., we're talking super elementary, I know, but, you know, we generally talk barrels, gallons. But for the most part, when you're talking about mud on a drilling rig, you're always talking in barrels, right? Yes. If you're in Canada, Matt, what are you measuring it in? Cubes. Cubes. See, not cubic. Cubic meter is the official term, but if you're if you're Canadian oil field, you call it a cube. Yeah. <laughs> Cubes. And then yeah, if you're pumping, it's I think it's liters per cube. Down here it's gallons per minute. Or well, gallons per minute, GPM. And then up there I think it's it's cubes per minute. Depends. Sometimes it's liters per minute. Yeah. It depends. Right. Well, same thing like barrels per minute versus gallons per minute. Yeah. Oh, man, but when they do liters per minute, you're like, that's a really big number. It sounds like you're pumping fast. Like, <laughs> no, it's actually just a very small volume per you're, unit of time. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You can tell I haven't been on a Canadian rig in a while because I had to scratch my head on the Is that the right terminology? So you're talking in barrels. And one of the major important measurements when you're circulating is understanding, again, kind of theoretical volume to versus actual. And so on a rig, oftentimes you'll measure your strokes on your pump. And if you know your amount of volume in, and you know your pump parameters, you'll be able to figure out how much volume it takes to get to a certain place. And so those volume increments, the one on a rig, typically you're always going to know is your bottoms up time. And Matt, mm-hmm. what is bottoms up? It is the time it would take at a given flow rate for fluid to go from the very bottom of the hole to surface. Right. And it sounds simple, but it's important to know, right? Yeah, I mean, it's an important unit of measure. You know, kind of going back to the strokes as well, the thing is, like, yes, we have... So, like, when we're looking at volumes on a tank, there's normally 
some very astute welder has put together some numbers and there's little bars and numbers hanging off of it. And you just sort of wait till the number gets close enough to the increment of measure. It's, it's not very precise, but it doesn't need to be, you know, Mm -hmm. normally it's five or 10 barrel increments, you know, strokes is supposed to be less than barrel increments and assuming the dimensions of your liners and everything are what you were told they were, you can just reset the stroke counter and get the number of strokes that it should take to theoretically pump that many barrels. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to stand and watch a potentially dynamic system go, oh, yes, we've gone down this much, or I can't actually do that because I'm not emptying the pit. I'm just circulating fluid. So strokes can be very, very useful to give you how how much volume in barrels. Right. So, and it's real, real easy communication with the driller. You'd be like, reset your stroke counter after 2,500 strokes or whatever, you know, shut her down or, you know, whatever it is. Yep. That's a good point. And so you have typically, again, most well-known bottoms up. And that's typically if you're, if you're coming out of the hole, let's, oh, circulate X amount, you know, four, four bottoms up or whatever. And a lot of times they'll zero the stroke counter and you'll know how many strokes it's going to take and so on and so forth. But without getting into the math and all that, I mean, anyone who's on a rig understands that, but just know the terminology that's what that is and then you also have surface to surface which is an important time a lot of times when you're making treatments and that what that is is taking the surface volume you know the amount of time it takes from your fluid on surface to go throughout your circulating system downhole back up or sorry your active system downhole and back up and if you're having to make a very specific treatment you can you know get as i guess granular as x amount of you know sacks per minute of this treatment. And if you want to do it over, say, three circulations, a full circulation is surface to surface. So, yes. Yeah. Again, pretty basic. Anything to add to that one? I mean, I think even understanding, like, let's say you are pumping a sweep, for example. So you mix the sweep in the slugging pit. Oh, yeah. yeah. You pull that down and, and knowing your drill string volume, your annular volume, you can, with those, you know, that stroke count, for example, Mm-hmm. you can know when to wait by the shakers to see like and when it should calm. be there. So that's another sort of, <clears throat> but bottoms up is probably the easiest. Like if you're having a conversation about like, let's watch and see, you know, one, like you mentioned, cleanup cycles to see the whole cleanup. Let's wait three, four bottoms up or whatever. And then there's other times where it's like, let's wait a couple of bottoms up and see what comes back or see if things improve or whatever. But it's sort of, Anytime you're talking about a fluid treatment or a circulating time, it's very common that that's the unit of measure that you propose to anybody on the rig. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I think from the incremental perspective, that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. And there's another one, too, is it's not talked about very often, but knowing your uh, surface to bit is important if you're going to spot something. Yeah. But again, it's you know how much volume it takes and you can math you can figure out on the math side, how many strokes it's going to take. And so knowing how long it takes from point A to point B, whatever that looks like, you're obviously using a pump. And with that comes along, you can know the time it takes based off the pump rate. So that's really the point being here. And there's sort of a few there. So like I said, bottoms up, surface to surface, bit to surface, or sorry, surface to bit. And I think that would be about the only important ones out there. And then that kind of leads into the next one is, is talking about transfers. We mentioned a lot of pits that, you know, perhaps aren't part of the circulating or the active system. Matt, what can you say about transfers? Because there's some things there that I think need to be touched on. I mean, I think the first one is just communication. 
So if you go transferring from the reserve to the active and people don't know that it's happening, you can scare a lot of people. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that on electronic data recorders, you can type in transferring fluid from here to here so that anybody monitoring the pits does not freak out saying we're taking an influx. I need to shut in the well. You can create a lot of a lot of stress by not, you know, telling anybody about what you're doing, you know, from a transferring perspective. And then there's also just the volume accounting perspective where all this stuff needs to stay reconciled. And so write down in your tally book every single transfer no matter how mundane, because don't think at the end of the day, you're going to just even her all out and remember all of, you know, what you did. So especially if you're on losses or just bleeding in a little bit of volume at a time, it just between understanding how much of that volume you've built from dilution, if you're, while you're drilling between fresh mud, you're bringing in premix, anything else, document, 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 and make sure everybody knows what you're doing when you're doing it. And keep in mind, the more and more we have these electronic communications, you're not just telling the driller, you need to make sure somebody, you know, sitting at their computer in an office somewhere doesn't call the rig screaming because they're seeing pit gains that they cannot explain. Right. Over communication, especially with transfers, extremely important. And with that too is you know, always do your do your part, walk the lines, walk the manifolds, make sure everything's buttoned up nice and tight, have people at different points, depending on, you know, where you're transferring from. And it's always good to, because because oftentimes too, if you're transferring, you're thinking, okay, it'll, you know, take me 20 minutes to transfer a hundred barrels or whatever. And it's taking a lot longer. Well, you never know. One of your manifolds could be loose and you could be pumping away you know, 10, 15 barrels <laughs> every yeah. few minutes into, into especially if it's dark. I mean, most people like to say don't transfer in the dark, but the reality is you're drilling away and, and operationally, you can't wait till sunlight to do something. So extremely important. Yeah. You know, have your, you know, whether it be flashlight or light on top of your hard hat, but, you know, having people at different points and, and using as many piece, people as possible on, you know, the discharge end, and, you know, the suction end and maybe even someone in between if there's, you know, a manifold or, or a bunch of pipe being connected. And I mean, now like, probably most locations are really well lit up. But if you got a big lease and your tank farm is in the back in the corner, then there's, there's probably going to be some spots where you can't quite see. So have a lot of people help you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I find if there are lines kind of over, it's always a shadowy area over by the hopper, like just with a typical rig layout, yeah, uh, you know, and, and usually there's a line or a hose or something going along what, what seems to be right next to the intermediate pit mm-hmm. in the backyard yeah. that is like really hard to see and like doesn't get properly illuminated. Mm. That is both a tripping hazard and a uh, place for someone to turn a valve that you don't see. Yeah. And I mean, all that being said, you know, having these manifolds set up, having the lines, it's great. I like walking them with the Derek hand because I generally don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then also, you know, if things need to be flushed because of different fluids, figuring out how that's going to be done, making sure that you did it the right way and return the valves to the right spot. And like you said, the immediate somebody monitoring. I think what we like to do is we want to see it start coming out and then we feel good that everything's lined up correctly and we're filling the tank. And then we kind of get bored because we're watching it and we're like, oh, I'll come back in a little bit. Understanding the risk is so great of a spill. And then the other thing is just from a transfer rate perspective, 
you know, there are certain fluids that we know we have to move around quickly. And so even going from like four inch lines from three inch lines and bigger pumps to move stuff around besides how much nicer, you know, how important it is when you can do some of those things, when it makes sense, you also don't have to wait as long to watch it transfer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but also with transfers, one of the things I wanted to emphasize is hoses, not only like properly tying down your hose, because when you fill it with fluid, it wants to whip around, but yeah. I mean, the number of stories I've heard of people being hurt by seeing a hose go flying because it wasn't tied down or wasn't tied properly and then trying to wrestle it or it moving, smacking somebody or whatever. There's just, there's so many safety concerns with hoses. And so yeah. obviously wherever you can hard line, hard line, you know, go into a hard line with a valve. But if it requires a hose dropping into the top of a tank, just understand like, you know, if you're trying to do a safety assessment, this is the glaring, most obvious, like don't ignore the other things, but this is one of the most common ways people get hurt during a fluid transfer. Yeah. And and a lot of it is just tripping, but when you start pumping on something pretty hard and the hoses can start, I mean, shaking around. And then two, one thing I, I've seen a lot of times happen and I've been part of it is sometimes you have some funky placements of tanks. And so the softer hoses are necessary to kind of, you know, zig and zag around equipment yeah. or whatever. And a lot of times those things are stiff. And so you may have three or four people on the rig, you know, pushing it over to, to get to where you can get that hammer union on it just enough to where you can start hammering on it. But and it may look like an S. Well, that thing wants to go stiff as a board. So once it, once you knock it off and you kind of like start wiggling, it, it can want to straighten up and it can whip. Yep. And especially those four inch lines, I've seen people get hit pretty hard with the end of like the hammer union part of hoses. Yeah. And so... Again, just be mindful whenever you're disconnecting soft line, it's not actually soft. No. It's just as hard as like, especially if it whips and hits you, it can break bones. So that's one thing I would be very mindful of is, okay, when I disconnect this hose, am I straddling it? If so, am I going to be riding it like a bull or is it going to wipe me out? Because I've yeah. had that happen. So be mindful of that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was to say that all ties into, I mean, the obvious thing, safety but then, of course, just the risk of a spill. I, I mean, all this yeah. stuff, it should be properly secured in case of a spill, but there's so it's not that hard to prevent a spill. And I, I think transfers are a risk, obviously, because you're actively pumping something somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's a really strong opportunity for something like that to happen. But I, I think just being aware, and I think that goes back to walking from where it's going to be sucked out from to where it's going to be delivered walking all along there before you do anything and thinking it through. Yeah. And again, a lot of this, you know, if there's going to be a transfer, a lot of times you're going to be required to write a JSA and this is all part of it as well. Right. So, which is a job safety analysis, but yeah, spill again. And I I think spill is 99.9% of the time. It's human error, miscommunication. Oh, I thought it was connected or I thought this, or I thought that it's just like trust, but verify all the time. And yeah, so again, Matt, that's about it. I mean, we covered, you know, kind of a lot of ground, but hopefully we clarified a few things. And if you're new to drilling fluids engineering or just new to the industry, especially right now, I mean, I I had coffee this morning with a gentleman who's uh, pretty high up at a drilling contractor and just hearing about the the labor shortages and Mm -hmm. how hard it is to find people. The ones that they do hire a lot of times don't have oil field experience. So if, if you're if you know someone who you're working with right now who is new to the oil field or new to drilling operations, 
please, we do this to educate people. And, and we find that, you know, a lot of times the stuff that we talk about, we take for granted. And so if you're working with someone who's fairly new, share an episode or two with them and say, hey, you know, listen to this. And if you have questions, let us know and and, and relay it back to us on, on any questions there is. So, Matt, yes. anything else? No, I, I think we covered it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for everybody who listens. Please share, subscribe, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Hit us up on LinkedIn if you have any questions. Matt and I are always on there. Please follow the AES Fluids LinkedIn channel. We've got plenty of content that we're continuously pumping out. And if you have a question, you want to email us, kind of be a little bit more, you know, less exposed or whatever, you can hit us up on the flow line at AESfluids.com is the email. My apologies. It's been a, it's been a long day here. But anyway, thanks again for the listeners. Take care for now. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.